leave a review you go in the running go do it now do it now if you're listening to this and you want to go to just Panese with frida just you and me just Panese, baby <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby. And this week's movie is Alien, 1979. <laughs> science. Alien. Really? Science. <laughs> I know, I was like, I have to, like, really, Alien. The first one, the original. <laughs> the OG. It's there. a huge one. <laughs> and you know what we can actually say? Welcome back. Because yeah. we haven't pre-recorded this one. We I like it. Yes. We We're can... really seeing each other for the first time. Yes, exactly. Since Holes. And I'm excited. I had a break and I'm ready for this mega episode. I'm ready because I've had a rest. This was a good decision. We could have done this at the end of that shitty, shitty year and it wouldn't yeah. have been as good. No. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very stressful. <laughs> like, happy Christmas while I like have alien coming out my eyeballs and I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. It's better. Yeah. So, what should we catch up about? You tell me. Oh, uh, well, go on. What do you want to say? I wanted to say that <laughs> I did. <laughs> I've got well. There's a few things, but number one is that I was in Brisbane on my holiday, and I did listen to the Die Hard episode while I was in Brisbane. So first, I listened to the edit, and I listened to the the full episode as well, like when it was on. And at the end of the episode, you were taking the piss out of me but I did a shout out to myself on my holiday and you know what yeah. it felt great ah. I was on my holiday and and I heard I heard myself say shout out to Frida hope you're enjoying your holiday and I was like I am <laughs> Yahoo! I'm here on my holiday thanks Frida I'm having a great time oh, you geez. mocked me <laughs> yeah and I still fucking will <laughs> what are you it even felt great this, it's like this entire a podcast has just become about you being able to have little in-jokes with yourself. Like, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> just listening. Listening is, to the Die Hard This podcast edit. is an audience of one and it's Frida. <laughs> <laughs> I was in, in Brisbane listening and I said, shout out to my girlfriend, Frida. And I was like, here she is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that's my first thing. What about what? Okay. The, what's up? <laughs> my uh, well, okay. So like holiday wise, I was just I, I actually did take some time off. Like I took a week of just shutting everything off, and I just played board games and watched TV and movies and mm. caught up on things and ate food and rested, and it was amazing. But then I had to go and do my transfer exam, which was very stressful. So. <laughs> Woohoo! Hey, there's a like there's a little place in hell reserved for anyone that has like exams in the first week of January. That's yeah, that's it's just January's for it's nothing. Rude. <laughs> it was very it stressful. Is rude. So like 
they, it's different. I know it's different, like in different institutions and in different countries and everything like. But everyone has a pretty similar thing where, like, when you're doing your PhD, within the first like year to eighteen months, you have to do uh, an upgrade or transfer or a um, confirmation or whatever whatever it's called, where you basically mm-hmm. just go and say, "Hey, this is what my research is. Uh, this is what my plan is. Can I keep doing it?" And depending on where you are, depends on what you have to do. So I had to do a write a report, write a plan, a research plan, Mm -hmm. do a open talk presentation and then have a half hour Viva exam. Um, So, yeah, it was quite stressful. Um, How many people come to this open talks in in where you are? Mine was pretty interested enough. Mine was pretty small. I think there was only like 20 in mine. It's not, it's open to the department, like it's not open. So it's open to graduate students and academics in the department. Mm. So yeah. My transfer exam had the examiners, like, and my supervisor, the head of the school, like everyone who had to be there, plus two to three, like, mates. Okay. That was it. Yeah. That was it. So it was fine. Like, I actually really enjoyed the presentation. I felt really good about That's that. Good. When I got to that, I was like, presentation? Yeah, this is nice. Uh, it was the closed Viva that was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> the closed what? So we had to, I had to, so you have to do like a Viva. So, Viva? Uh, so the same thing that you would do for your thesis defense. So it's like a mini, a mini oh, defense. Oh, we don't do that in Australia. Oh, okay. Defense. So... I mean, I'm sure that when you do your Viva for your actual thesis, it's a much more enjoyable experience because they're just going to question you on the work that you've done. But like Mm. they questioned me on my report. So like it was my work, but it was also a case of like, you know, random physics questions where you're just kind of like my brain just starts going. "Ah!" Oh, yeah. They They can ask you anything. Yeah. They asked me questions on what I had done. Yeah. Totally. Also, just it's questioning be, you on what you've written. Yeah, it's supposed to be half an hour, and mine was like an hour and ten minutes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did you use the not within the scope? That's in my report. <laughs> this is not, not within, within the, the scope, scope of this report. <laughs> it's the scientist's most handy tool. Exactly, Frida. <laughs> I believe you recently <laughs> used this tool. <laughs> um. We're not explaining that. Okay. So. But these are science terms you can include in everyday language. This is not within yeah. the scope of this discussion. <laughs> it's not within the scope of this discussion, but maybe at a later time we can have that conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. John- well, it's a milestone. Yeah. Did you have? Yeah, exactly. It is. I feel like really everyone said to me your second year is the most fun year because you don't have this looming Hanging, transfer yeah. thing that you have to prepare for and uh-huh. you're not like in the final year where you're like fuck I need data I need data <laughs> so I'm like so now yeah. I'm in that like sweet spot in the middle where I'm kind of finally Lazy. in the okay cool I just just do the stuff <laughs> just gonna do now stuff now you just get to at the point of your PhD where you just hang out in the breakout room <laughs> and chat <laughs> the good bit yeah, I did have an extra thing. I told I, I warned you about this in, in our messages mm-hmm. before the episode, but 
we do not have enough reviews, okay? And oh, I know yes. there are going to be a lot of people listening to this episode because Alien is a big episode. All you people out there that are come here for Alien, leave us a review for Apple Podcasts. And we're going to have a competition. Okay, some of you will know. Why would anybody know this? But it turns out Frida, yes, she's single again. I am single. So here's what's happening. We're having a competition. The first five people to leave a review... You have to be from Melbourne. It has to be on the Australian I guess, one. <laughs> Australian one. We'll go in the running to win a date with Frida. She's going to take you to Jazz Panese. <laughs> Jazz Panese. We'll win a hallowed place at Jazz Panese. Although Jazz Panese place, the Japanese place is now closed. It might be. Um, it is not Japanese. It is another one. You can get, but you can get anything to the Jazz Bar. They'll right. let you do okay. a takeaway. It can still be Jazz Panese then. It can be Japanese, so it can Japanese. Okay, fine. The first five people to leave a review on the Australian page will go into running to go to Japanese with Frida. Um, so fucking leave a review. Okay, fine. I have kind of realized though, like with our kind of request for reviews, the fact that like I don't know how many people actually use Apple Podcasts to listen to us, so maybe that's why they're not leaving reviews because most of the other ones don't have review Uh, things. So So where can Spotify follow us? It's just a comment. It tells us that you exist. Like yeah. just anything. <laughs> Bloody like we know. what about leaving a comment on our Instagram and yeah. you're not a promoter? How about that? No. Leave a review, you go in the running. Go do it now. Do it now. If you're listening to this and you want to go to Japanese with Frida. Just you and me. Japanese, baby. All right. That's okay, it. should we talk about alien now then? Yes. All right, okay, so I've got a very short introduction to Alien anyway, because, I mean, there's not a whole lot that needs to be discussed in terms of explaining this movie. Um, Right, so, the Nostromo is on a long-haul flight back home after mining for supplies beyond our solar system. In the emptiness of space, a distress signal is heard, and so Mother wakes the crew from their dreams of home to investigate its origin. While exploring a barren planetoid and a derelict ship, Kane succumbs to curiosity and puts everyone in jeopardy. An alien life form has taken hold, and while the crew struggles to understand what is happening, the alien is adapting. From the moment it emerges, its goal is to survive, and the crew is expendable. That's it. That's it. That is mean to Kane. I feel like you were unfair just then. Okay. Unfair. He put everybody at risk by being curious, really? Yeah. Really? Oh, fair enough. Yeah. But you're kicking a man when he's down, Abby. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Tell it to the rest of the crew then. (laughs) Let's bring them back to life and ask them how they feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alien, Frida. I believe this is your first time seeing it. And I believe now uh, it's actually your second time seeing it. (laughs) Yes, I had not watched Alien before and now I've watched it twice. So, I mean, (laughs) I did it. I don't know. I mean, I need a guided, like, uh, okay, so ask me questions. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. It's so good. It just keeps you hooks you completely yeah. on so many levels. Like it's, yeah. it's hard to know how to talk about it um, other than with our format, which we've set up. So yeah. like, yes, we have. Okay. So we'll, do, okay, so we'll go through 
we'll go we'll go through some stuff right so i mean yeah when you can't talk about alien without talking about the production and the style but of course because we're a science podcast i don't want to get too caught up in it mm-hmm. um i do feel like especially if we started talking about this we would talk for hours yeah um so we'll just- so but personally i do mostly want to talk about the concept artists but i want to keep this with the environment of science a little bit later so we're not mm-hmm. ignoring all those aspects of it we're going to come back to it But for now, let's start with bringing up Ridley Scott, because this is our third movie with him. We know we can trust him. Blade Runner, Blade Runner, second one. No, Um, Blade Runner, the first one. Alien. The Martian. And The Martian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what's fascinating about this is that uh, Alien was his second ever movie. And... That sounds like that's, you know, and it's really impressive. But what I do think we need to highlight is that he was already in his 30s and the head of a million dollar company that made commercials. So he wasn't a novice when it comes to like working with film. And I think this is probably Mm -hmm. why he entered this movie with such a clear vision and why he was able to hold his own with the studio, like for the most part, and just get the movie to be exactly what he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of what I think is impressive about the movie, but it also has that, it has that feeling of like, it's something new and it's something different, but it's not inexperienced. How do you feel about Ridley? Uh, Yeah, I mean, he knew exactly what he was doing, but also he like plays so many mind games with us. Like he's so much intention. It's like, like it could have been other people that would have just made it like, but he is just playing with us the entire time. It seems like, yeah, like you're in good hands. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's got a plan. There's so much yeah. intention with everything and you feel it. Like, and, and that's why you watch it again. I could watch it again and again because it's like every shot, everything, like there's something there for you to look at. There's something there for you to see. And I think that's down to his vision, probably. And one thing as well that he did really well and particularly here is putting together an incredible cast. Mm-hmm. And it was a clever cast too, because he intentionally sought out actors who were not known for sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So let's talk cast. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Starting with um, Yafet Koto. Well, all of them in general, first of all, they're so much older than a lot of like sci-fi movies that we yes. see where everyone is like in their 30s or even 20s. These people are... So much older and the vibes that you get are so different than what I'm used to from science fiction. It's just like, firstly, they're all just like working together and used to each other and comfortable. And like, it's almost like you're coming in the middle of something, like in the middle where it's all like all the dynamics are like all set up and you're just sort of coming into the middle and just like getting used to like, who are all these people? What are they doing? All right, they're doing this thing. It's just like so easy and natural and they're all like written so well and perform so well and it just feels real and it feels like what it would be like the kind of people that would realistically do that kind of job in the future yeah 100% agree that's exactly they're they're workers they're practical people they're there they're doing a job doing a good job they're not this like Uh fanciful futuristic astronauts that we're so used to kind of seeing Mm -hmm. they're grimy and mucky and they're sweaty and they're tired and they're cranky and they're confined and they're 
yeah you know pissing each other off and making yes. each other laugh and yeah 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 natural natural yeah like they're totally natural and and the dynamics are so well done like it's not just like every conversation every look all the writing all it's like there's really not a lot of time because there's so much other stuff going on but like with the little time that you get that conversation everything just like builds up all these different pictures of like who they are and the first time not not as much but the second time I watched it I really saw all the little character moments all little bits all little pieces like building up everybody so well so quickly so easily okay so do you want to is there individuals that you want to highlight I loved Jafet Koto like I loved his character so much and the way he performed it so like they're just so such pros so um, so good at acting <laughs> like yeah <laughs> he's great the second time I watched it I really warmed to his character even more um I love Harry Dean Stanton always have as well like I didn't appreciate the more when I watched it the second time you see like the, his character um even though he's kind of like you know his whole thing is like uh, 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 uh. you know he just does so well like I don't know, everyone, how, how do I begin? How do I end? I don't know. Like, why don't you yeah. g- sh- what, give me a name? <laughs> Should we go down Okay, the well, the leader of the pack. Okay, so we've got the leader of the pack, which is um, D- uh, Dallas. So Dallas Garrett. Yeah. Kind of as the captain of the ship, the one in charge. And he does yeah. have this really kind of calm, authoritative vibe about him. <laughs> yeah. That, that really works well. Middle management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well yeah that's it so you've got him and then that plays off really well with as you said with like um parker and brett being the two uh-huh. kind of the mischievous ones but also the the you know the 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 ones that are a bit begrudging like they're a bit like yeah. you know we're not fucking no we deserve more we we've got this yeah yeah, like, yeah. but they're like the tradies and everyone else is yeah. sort of like more fancy educated like they're all like the flight navigation scene is all them without brett and parker and it gives you a sense of yeah. like the hierarchy brett and parker are down in the you know the gutter yeah, it's the upstairs downstairs thing <laughs> totally yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> working class middle class <laughs> something yeah 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 you get and that then- pretty quickly yeah. And then we've got, so we've got Veronica Cartwright as Lambert. So she's yeah. the kind of a bit more of the, I feel like there's this calm collective in all of them of like, okay, something's happened. Something's on board. We've got to sort it out. What do we got to do? Whereas uh, Lambert is the one that's like, what the fuck? Freaking out. Like yeah. shit is, this is dangerous and this is wrong and and things like that. So mm-hmm. But the yeah, first time I watched it? it, yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, hysterical female, what I think is intentional. Yeah. Like, But then the second time I watched it, and like before she starts to sort of cry, you can see just in her facial expressions, in her hesitation, her fear building. Yeah. But she doesn't let it out just yet. I think there's a point at which she starts to sort of freak out. But her, the actress, like the minute things start to go funny, she start. you see her stiffness, you see the, the camera cut to her. That she is just experiencing sheer terror yeah. of the viewer. The exactly. discomfort, like something is wrong here. And and I think she is just terrified. And when I looked at it like that, I was less like judgmental of like, oh, you're going to be a woman, emotional. She's just fucking terrified, yeah. which she should be. She's not trying to be like um, brave or like, you know, macho. She's just like, fuck, can we get out of here? Yeah, exactly. And, and mm-hmm. I guess like that's how you would feel in that situation. That's how we feel. Get out of yeah, there. Get exactly. out of there. <laughs> uh, okay, so then we also have Ian Holm, who plays Ash. Oh, my God. 
His voice even sounds like an android when you think about it, when you watch yeah. it again. Again, the second time I watched it, he, he sounds like an android somehow. I don't know. But he's amazing. There's so much mm. not being said with every look and like every you see him think before he speaks and you're like is he just being like condescending is he hiding something you're like i don't know it's like every the way that the actor like hesitates before yeah. saying something is says volumes and he's just just sometimes by doing nothing but like he just pauses before delivering gives you all this extra tension and it's Ian Holm is just he leads yeah. you down this path of is it scientific curiosity that he just has that he was mm -hmm. willing to sacrifice everyone else for his own curiosity or is there something else going on and and he plays it really well so that you're never really sure you're never sure what his intentions are until yeah. the reveal but yeah but Ripley okay. knows and we know anyway yeah exactly Ripley is clever, but well, let's just let's leave that for just one second because we just yes. got to bring up John Hurt and Kane uh, before we get to Ripley. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh yeah, he Kane. doesn't Bloody do a Kane. John Hurt and Kane. <laughs> he doesn't get a whole lot of FaceTime in this movie, does he? Is there somebody oh, else under the face hugger? <laughs> he doesn't. I, think I was so. like, he's a big name. Well, I don't know if he was back then, but when I think about it, he's not on for very long. I feel bad because we don't really talk about John Hurt as Kane, but it's like that's what Kane is. Kane is the mm -hmm. there to, to facilitate that. Scene. Yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot before that at all. It's just like I wonder how it would be like if I didn't know about that famous scene, would I have guessed that it was going to happen? I'm not sure because you saw at the beginning, obviously the the yeah. guy, and, and so I wonder. I just was like, cool. I wouldn't have been cool to have been shocked by this in the in the right. audience. I was shocked anyway, though, I have to say. Because he, he builds that relief that you feel of Kane is okay. Kane yes. is okay. Amazing. Kane is okay. Kane is not okay. <laughs> Kane isn't okay. As soon as he But eats okay, well. so let's, let's, let's move through to Ripley then, because um, Ripley yeah. was, I mean... Sexy. Such an important character in terms of, like, characterization for for a female character absolutely for the, like for 1979 putting a woman Still. in the leading role in sci-fi and what i loved about it was the character was originally written as male what they kind of chose to do was just not change anything about the characterization they just changed the gender and i love that because they were like everything all the traits that are in here to do with like the strength and the the courage and all these other things it's not gender specific there's no reason that we have to suddenly make her a damsel in distress or or do anything to what mm -hmm. that character is uh, but i just love that for ripley particularly yeah. and that's why i think she's such a strong character and like icon for a lot of people i think um how do you feel mm -hmm. weaver and ripley yeah uh, well, yeah, I, I loved her performance. And um, to me, you know, because it was being played by a woman and it felt like a woman because I was like, well, the, the idea that women are shown in a certain way and like they're written in a weird clunky way sometimes in a way that just isn't mm. quite like a human being. And she just, to me, there's no reason why yep, that isn't exactly. what a woman is like. Well, Sigourney Women is indeed a woman. 
playing that role. So I was like, looks like a woman to me. Sounds like a woman to me. (laughs) Acting like a woman to me. I mean, like, that's fine. And it's funny how even like till today, this is still a prime example of like a female character that's strong. It's like still we struggle to find examples that that are um, that match. That's what I find frustrating that someone can come along and create this character and make it so obvious that like women are like that. So just you know and it can make money (laughs) and it's still what it makes money (laughs) 40 years ago have Mm -hmm. i done my math wrong 50 years ago i have no idea i can't do math yeah so write write a write a female character like the same way you would write a man and people will have no problem watching her regardless of whether they're male or female or any any other gender yeah. It's like you you will draw, you will push away certain audiences if you write the female characters like in a certain lens. But if you just write them like a human, then like nobody's put off by it. Yes. Human characters, please. Gender is bullshit anyway. So human characters. Uh, anyway, so I do. I just want to mention that Bolaji Badejo, who plays the alien, um, we're going to talk more about the alien and its and its design and, and everything later, but he applies the physicality to it. And just an interesting thing about him was he he was studying, he was at college studying graphic design in London. And, you know, he was just kind of found in a bar and someone said, hey, do you want to do this? But he had actually studied mime. And that's kind of why he put... Uh, I love it. Like, wow. Yeah, so six foot evil. ten, studied mime. So they were like... <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> we love you. He was like very skinny, six foot ten. Yeah, I love yeah. There's people that can do those kinds of roles. Is <laughs> the guy that's in, um, you know, the Silver Surfer. Yeah, it's the only thing he's ever done. <laughs> the, the, this guy, the, the only movie. Guy, yeah. If you look up, if you look him up, it's the only credit he has. So it was just like, oh. Uh, okay, so let's let's move into the themes of the movie then. Absolutely. Skim over it, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I sort of w- want to be trying not to go over what's been gone over so many times, but um, I guess I'll just let you you talk. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I know that despite what I might think, because I do, I have thoughts on on the theme thing, but and what the intention of the creators might have been, there are then the themes that are intended and the themes that are attributed. And the internet is abundant with details of the depiction of gender, sexuality, rape, and that this movie evokes. And there are essays and books and documentaries and courses. I'm sure there's like an entire university course out there somewhere that deals with the imagery of um, of Alien. So before I refute it as the central theme of the movie, <laughs> do you have comments that you would like to raise on the topic of gender and sexuality in the movie? I don't know what are my ideas and what ideas I picked up from the ether, but I will say is that it is a walking dick, just terrorizing everybody with its sharp penis, raping everybody. And I really, you know, the forced motherhood really, you know, that was, I loved seeing it being done to a man. And I was like, now, you know what it fucking feels like. (laughs) Um, So there was that sort of idea of the horror of, forced motherhood and your body have being forced to have forced you know there's obviously a spectrum of forcing that happens in life but by virtue of being a woman like it's forced on you so yeah like it it felt visceral and it felt satisfying actually to Mm. um see it happen to a man um and but then you know veronica cartwright's death i was like well 
of course it does that to her because she's a fucking woman fuck you yeah. guys i was very i got a lot of <laughs> my wires were very crossed with this movie i have to say crossed wires motherhood yeah you know, obviously mother you know well but my wires were very crossed so i don't, I I don't know what to make of it i think that's really interesting that you bring up about the crossroad because this is what my thoughts are right so um, first yeah. off i was like my 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 first central theme is a uh, curiosity kill the cat but you know <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay no basically how i really feel about this is that you cannot pin down an exact theme of the movie yes, because it's art in a pure form where you can look at the art assess the feelings it evokes in you determine what it means to you as an individual you cannot attribute an intentional theme of the movie on society because there's no central intended theme and as ridley scott has said himself this is a direct quote it has absolutely no message it works on a very visceral level and its only point mm-hmm. is terror and terror. terror. Thank you. I agree. So, I love that. Yeah, having spent a lot of time thinking about this. Sorry, no, go on. React to that before I go on. No, it's true. Yeah. But it's not like in a perverted Stanley Kubrick way, which I fuck him. It's like terror, but it's so watchable. Yeah. I'm not well, upset. This is it. And it's Watching so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and trying to figure out kind of how I feel about it, because I, I do get a bit irritated sometimes where I see like all this, like, this is what the message of the movie is. And it's like, how the fuck do you know what the message of the movie is? Is that intended? Is that what did somebody tell you mm-hmm. that that's what? Because this is a movie. The movie is art and there is provocation, but it's not one artist leading us. So it's not art by intention, it's art by collaboration or collective. And so the overall feel that we each get from watching it comes from the feelings or the viewpoints or the direction of multiple people. So if we look at some of these people, right, basically we've got Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shushet wrote a quick, silly B-movie called Star Beast because O'Bannon was broke and pissed off at John Carpenter. And that's, that's literally where this movie comes from. And then the producers, Carol, Geiler and Hill, saw sci-fi was in. They were like, Star Wars hype. Oh my God, we can probably make some money out of this. Let's increase the budget, make it a bit bigger. And let's tidy the script and make it a little bit less goofy and more kind of serious. Then it was sent to Ridley Scott and he was like, I can immediately picture what this should look like. And he comes, you know, he goes straight over and says, yep, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it really suspenseful horror movie. And then you get the conceptual artists in, you get Ron Cobb and he's like functionality in the ship and the setting. So he's all about that. And then we have H.R. Giger. And Giger <laughs> is the one whose entire artistic temperament is filled with a love of sexual imagery. And that's where all that comes from. And yeah, the fact yeah. that Giger was the one who designed and created the entire setting for the alien and the derelict and the planetoid and like all that kind of um, that side of the imagery puts a lot of sexual connotation. Yeah, into it. it's there. But there's a lot yeah. of sexual stuff everywhere all the time around us. People are super obsessed yeah. with it and, and, and it doesn't need to be like, oh, that's the intention. It's like that's life. That's what pe- a lot of people see. To me, though, yeah. I look at it and I'm like, yeah, this is like this beautiful, warm, like mothering environment. And then some scary guy just coming in and ruining everything with these like sexual violence and his prick like his scary penis and i'm like that's sometimes i get the general horror of that the horror of like this is my lovely woman space like women are like we're 
God, we've got our nice spaces. And like some men stomp around and they're violent and like patriarchal and condescending and like insecure. Yeah. You're like, go away with your male shit. Go sort your shit out. And that was for me, I was like, I felt that kind of like, yeah. you're ruining fucking everything. See, and I love that. I love that you can look at it and take something like there, there's there's the intentions from the different people that were involved, the messages they wanted to get across. And then we yeah. get to look at it collectively and see, oh, what does this mean to me and my experience? So I just think at the end of the day, the message that we take from the movie comes from the collective minds of a group of creative people that all met yeah. at the right time, all with the intention of scaring the crap out of people. Yeah. And that doesn't even bring up the fact that there's all these other stuff like the corporation. We're just talking yeah. about one angle. Actually, there's a lot of other shit. So it gets even more like yeah. it's even beyond that. So, yeah, it's mishmash. It's a creative it's, like. And it's also that we're talking about like the first in a what became a franchise. Right. But in approaching it, like there's no point in approaching the franchise. We're talking about this movie and the intention at the time of this movie was just this movie. So like this is what this story is. And then. No, All the other shit creation. comes in and yeah. other things. Yeah. Sci-fi. So, yeah. okay. Cool. So, <laughs> we're done with our introductory part of the podcast. <laughs> Shall we move into tropes? Let's go trope of the week. Okay, Frida, what's your trope? All right, my trope is, this is my trope, is the android <laughs> directive. <laughs> directive. <laughs> that's my, that's it really. That's it's it. sort of Ash Direct. being like, Directive, directive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Must follow. That's it. Yeah. Ro- robots. <laughs> robots. Well, my like my trope is just I don't really have much to say about either. Mine is just like sound and space again. Oh yeah. Okay. Airlocks. Airlock drama. Yeah. I get why they do it, but I'm like, it's just, I find it so much more effective and suspenseful when there's no sound in space because that's more eerie than anything else. Not hearing anything. So it's just like, give us the total silence. Don't, don't give us all this like croaking of all the machines. It's like, it's not, it's not, stop, stop. It's not how science works. Yeah. Yeah. It's super tropey. Yeah. I mean, so we got some sound in space, airlock drums, um, Directive. Docking. Directive. <laughs> there, it isn't a particularly tropey movie, you know? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's third act horror, fourth act. Anyway, no, it's uh, the whole, yeah, it's, yeah, cool. It's pretty untropey. Okay, so let's get into let's our go. science then. Yes. Um, and I've kind of done a little mishmash instead of doing our normal kind of environment science or science. I, I've kind of broken it and, and chucked it all in together a little bit. So let's move through the story and the places and what's happening. So we're starting mm-hmm. with the Nostromo. Um, so Ron Cobb and Chris Foss were the concept artists for the human side of things. And Ron Cobb created the Nostromo. And what's really fascinating about this is we don't really think too much when we talk about these movies, particularly when we're looking at like science setups and stuff. We don't give credit to the concept artists the way that we should, because I never really realized how much detail they go into. So like what's really fascinating about Ron Cobb is he is really big on practicality and functionality in his designs. So when he is designing a ship, he takes so much care to understand how it would function in space what like what would be useful what would not be useful how what where the engine should be where like it's designed 
like it's not just a case of like drawing something that looks cool it's a case of drawing something that has function function Function. yeah that's everything he did for the Nostromo so all the scenes that we get with the interior of the ship the flight deck um the auto dock all of that uh the stasis pods it's all done with functionality in mind so how do we feel about how do we feel about the look of it but then also just in general the spaceship it is astonishing it is crazy i mean it's so interesting and it's so um fractal like you can look and look and there's so much scale and so much depth and it is like so detailed and beautiful and yeah functional and like there's sort of different sort of areas with different vibes like you've got mother's room it's like one vibe the stasis room there's one vibe and like the control room and and even like the little sort of little toys are sort of here and there like and, you know, everything the lockers was- Everything was made and designed to to be functional as well. So like when you pressed yeah. a button, it did something. It wasn't like they just put like a solid block in and was like, oh, it'll just look good. Yeah, It was all about functionality. Oh, how good were the graphics, yeah, dude? The graphics how great. good were the... That navigation scene, by the way, is one of my favorite sequences on Second View Inc. The way that it's written and they're all sort of working together, all doing the thing. It's just sort of happening. And it's like, again, so real yeah like, it's real it's that's the word the word feels realism the, the yeah the this this the literally like the shot visually is so filled with stuff the dialogue is so filled with stuff everybody has something to do it's so filled out that it gives mm. like this plumpness to each scene that that's what makes it real as opposed to theater when it's like stripped back you're like well we have these limits and like everyone says mm-hmm. then i say this then you say this the way they all like an orchestra all together gives this life and this fullness to the film which yeah. really feels like you're just visiting these people on a day on their job and the set has a lot to do that's with that. true that's yeah yeah that's a perfect way to put it like just being there when they're on yeah exactly the, the little and human touches to the set, I think, make a big difference. Like the, the, the coffee absolutely. cup and the like, the little right, like these. Yeah, so, the sets. The one set is the mother. All the dots. Do you think all those dots in mother's room was necessary? What were they all doing? Uh, all the bleeping. It looked great. Just saying, functionally, I loved it. I I just thought like it was. I thought it was a '70s <laughs> supercomputer, but like Doctor Whoified. Yeah, it was. It looked amazing. I was that's, just was I think that's exactly all those what it was. dots. I think it was yeah I think the dots was just the dots was the one thing it was the one thing that made it spaceshipy in terms of like what we like proper old school sci-fi vibe all the dots all the all the LEDs and you're just like oh, probably weren't even LEDs what the fuck were they but like I I it is I was just like we're in the TARDIS okay cool <laughs> Um, okay, so when we meet the crew, they are in suspended animation, and we've not talked about this before. Uh, there's definitely some movies we can do in the future where we could get more into detail on this, but I just had a little quick look at it. So basically, suspended animation is the temporary slowing or stopping of biological functions so that physiological capabilities are preserved. So it's kind of like putting humans into hibernation. But in medical terms, there this is being worked on and there is there are developments in this so in medical terms it's called emergency preservation and resuscitation epr 
And there was a trial carried out in 2019 at the University of Maryland Medical Center where actual human beings were being placed in suspended animation. And how they do this oh. is they rapidly cool a person down to 10 to 15 degrees Celsius by replacing all their blood with ice cold saline. What? Um, the idea is that this causes brain activity to almost totally stop. Um, the intention is that this is this was only done on patients whose injuries were fatal. So what they would do is they would try to put them into uh, suspended animation to prolong the time that surgeons could spend trying to treat the injuries. Uh, so our body temperature is around like 37 degrees and we function by using oxygen to allow ourselves to create energy. And without the oxygen, our brain would suffer irreparable damage. You'll know a lot about this because it happens when someone has a stroke. Mm -hmm. uh, the blood can't supply oxygen to the brain. But in EPR, lowering the temperature slows the brain down, which stops all the chemical reactions in our cells. And so we need less oxygen. And this is why it's something that that is seen that it could be beneficial. And yeah, so I just just to say we're not at the stage of like being able to have months of space travel in suspended animation. And obviously, I think actually doing that is going to be different than just getting into a pod <laughs> and closing the lid and going to sleep but it is something that, that is being looked at as a solution right now in terms of being able to uh, treat injuries and and help people survive fatal mm. injuries how do we feel about it, suspended animation a suspended animation is one of those things that is in so many movies that movies take for granted that you go well surely gonna happen no. right oh. like it's like the hoverboard you're like yeah. You see it so you much just, in movies. You go to sleep. It's fine. Surely <laughs> it'll just happen um, because it seems to be a necessary option for long-term space travel. Mm. Yeah. I had one question about it when they got up. So they're in nappies. Were they in diapers? Because did you yeah. think they were in diapers? Here's my question. Were they in diapers? And if so... They weren't attached to anything, so there was nothing like that they were excreting through. So they were in diapers. Was a diaper one diaper enough? How much do you <laughs> poop in suspended animation? Why are you laughing? Well, I presume laughing no, I presume you poop nothing because there's nothing. You poop nothing. I presume because you're not digesting. Metabolizing. Any... Yeah. Okay, you know? I was just wondering. They seemed like they were in nappies. Yeah. Also, Sigourney Weaver had like this tape over her nipples. I don't know if you noticed that. They wanted. To, they wanted. <laughs> yeah. So the intention was for them to be nude, but apparently the studio was like, "No, no, no, no! You cannot have female nipples on the television screen." So they're you like must this put tape on string. them. <laughs> it was the thinnest yeah. nipple. It was like nipple with the tiniest tape. little bit of like masking tape that's what it was it was like the it was like an iphone tape. cable and it was across her and veronica cartwright as well lambert's boobs and it was just like oh come on this is so stupid <laughs> so stupid the, it was these, so scary. these little like things that they have to do where like ridley scott is like yeah, yeah but surely they'd be naked but it's like Psh, what naked so, Take yeah. it. I, I do. Anyway. I do love. It's so stylish, though. Like going into hypersleep, you just like yeah. lay down your pod and you close it, and it's like, it's like, 
it's like makes this like cool little you know vacuum sound but then but then when i think of moon it gives me the shivers <laughs> get into stasis off you go and he's just being incinerated or whatever the fuck's happening it's just like i get little shivers down my spine whenever i think about putting yourself in hypersleep and you're like are yeah. you sure that that's what it does to you because maybe it's just from movies hypersleep maybe it's not a thing <laughs> exactly <laughs> someone comes along someday and there's like it's like how i feel about uh, about like the whole cryogenic stuff of like yeah, I wouldn't you know, everyone submit getting their bodies put into yeah. So <laughs> I'd someday be we'll do Vanilla Sky. Someday we will do it. No, okay, fine. I'll, if someone was like, "This is the chamber step in," I would not do it. No, I would be. I, I'm like, it is more likely that science has not figured out how to do this thing, which we only made up from movies, and you're about to murder me. <laughs> that is Frida coming at it with a good like proper analysis yeah <laughs> okay well they are in this movie they are in stasis as it's referred to uh but mother wakes them up because mother is programmed to wake them up under certain conditions and they have intercepted a transmission of unknown origin initially the crew believes the distress signal is calling for help and they are required to investigate should there be any signs of intelligent life. So off they go. Only what they find is a long destroyed ship, one lone pilot and a chasm filled with eggs. Now, all of the extraterrestrial components of Alien were designed by the infamous H.R. Giger, a Swiss artist with a penchant for bones and sexual imagery. And it's through Giger <laughs> that Alien gets its reputation with sex and uh, phallic <laughs> mouthpieces out to get you. Anyway, so it's all it, it's all very like vagina slash penis. Like, yeah, everything is both of those things. Ugh. That's that that's his entire style, and this is the thing. Like, <laughs> it is artistically beautiful, and that scene, particular for me, the space the, jockey the when they go into the well. derelict of the space jockey, and just the the scope of it, the size. They built the, that chamber like forty feet high. It's just stunning. Mm. I love it. I love that space jockey. Yeah, this massive thing which is just fossilized because this thing is so scary <laughs> that even this massive, this so, massive people, yeah. Yeah, so basically, like, the imagery of it is incredible, but then it also that takes us down to the alien because the this alien. is what we find in the, the eggs the eggs the eggs oh yeah the, the eggs and he comes down to this huge room and it goes like wide close and you're like oh it's a big room hmm. and the eggs i was watching it and thinking so there's eggs there's like this fog and he goes if you interrupt the fog something happens and to which i'm imagining that they have some sort of sensor technology that to sense if there's a life force to attach onto that the eggs start to sense and then open up to yep. this sort of ingenious trap that they're setting. Yeah. Disgusting. Well, that's it because the entire intention of the alien, like if we take the alien, it's, it's horror and it's imagery is terrifying. But when you actually, it, at the end of the day, it's an animal. 
and its instinct is to survive that's what its intention is and this is like mm. replicated a lot in in the animal kingdom so in terms of like the alien itself on the first of three stages in its kind of life cycle is you get the face hugger first the face hugger yeah. comes from the egg and the face hugger is the method of procreation so mm-hmm. when Cain gets a bit too close to the egg it senses the opportunity to fulfill its purpose pounces and then it uses its acidic blood to eat through Cain's hel- helmet get to his face allowing it to plant the embryo in the stomach and once it's done this part of its duty it falls off and dies and then the next stage we have the growing of the xenomorph so the embryo is feeding off the victim's digestive food surviving and growing in its host until it's ready to hatch and from here it grows so it chest burster happens baby alien comes out but then begins to grow rapidly shedding along the way until it reaches like its full glory in which case it's reaching the end of its life cycle and it needs to plant or lay eggs so that it can go off and die basically and then that's just kind of like it's a very simple and basic kind of life cycle of moving through and in terms of this it's really reminiscent of like parasites or social insects in Mm -hmm. biology that just kind of go through similar stages of development and some of them are predatory and will eat like any smaller organism that they find along the way that that's just their intention they Mm. They eat the organism that they find along the way. They lay their eggs. The eggs, what is it, pupate? Is that the correct terminology? Yes. They grow. They come out. Predators eat. Look for a way to plant embryos. And it's just, and it's just this cycle. It's just a thing that they do, they do, they do. But what I thought was interesting was that whether it was originally intended in the story or not, one of like what really Scott's feeling on the intention of the alien or like what where the alien kind of comes from is that every time it does this it takes on some of the characteristics of the organism or like of the the body that the was organic my, body yes. that it has plant implanted that was my in. question yeah is that why it's humanoid because it's fucking really humanoid yeah so it's humanoid my, the issue pain. with it was like but the shape of the head is very reminiscent of the space jockey as well so if you look at Mm. like the shape of the space jockey that kind of shows that like okay well the space jockey's race was um attacked incorporated into this yeah and then that space space jockey so it's gotten a couple of lay the egg gotcha okay oh that's interesting oh i I, the space jockey's head i was trying i couldn't really tell what was the chair and what was the jockey which i think was the point yeah um yeah that was my question because honestly when you saw the full body i was like pretty goofy because then you can imagine there's a human inside and it kind of takes away the horror when you're like yeah. i don't know the form because you're only seeing bits and pieces and you're not really sure once you see its full thing like at the end you're like it's just a person in a costume it's yeah. much less scary but yeah kane's son as ash quite yeah. loosely states <laughs> do you know abby the guinea worm has a life cycle like this the okay. guinea worm lays its eggs or it's got the little you know Pupe, whatever, in the river that people drink the river. Then it goes into the stomach and it all goes, you know, through the body, matures, and then comes out of the person's leg. Ugh. 
The person then, his leg is in so much pain, goes to the water for relief, lays eggs in the water. Drink, drink the eggs, hatch in the human, come out the leg. And that's the cycle of the guinea worm. Wow. It's yeah. so, that's the thing. It's like, it's so, it seems, and I think that's where I get a little bit of like, yeah, there's certain symbolism in it and whatever, but like, it's also basic human nature for, yeah, for, yeah, for it, certain it's a, animals. It's so hostile. Animals, it's like, it survives because it's that fucking hostile, but nature is hostile. Like it needs to be hostile to like execute its plan of survival and it is yeah. merciless. But it clearly enjoys, in my opinion, murdering. Well, but is it? Or is it just, does it, it's, it's a, if you think about it, it's a baby that's just been born in an environment that it doesn't know with nobody else of its, um, of its race around. And it's predatory and it's hungry and there's food walking around the place. Disagree. The reason why I think there's two reasons why I think that is enjoying the kill. One is I think that that alien is enjoying stalking Sigourney Weaver. Like the fact that she tries to get onto the shuttle and destroy the ship and the alien's like, (laughs) (laughs) and fucks her on like she has to deconstruct and everything. I, by the way, love and she's like, mother, you bitch. That's awesome. Um, I think that he is, he they are enjoying to terrorize her firstly but the main reason that i think there's some enjoyment is lambert's death so like he is standing in front of lambert lambert is terrorized and frozen but he turns around and kills lambert first so parker first why i think you want to take i keep saying he i think they want the alien wants to take their time killing lambert I think that they knocked off the, 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 the stronger person, the person that was actually in a position to be offensive and turned around slowly to be like, and you are my dinner and I'm going to do this very slowly. And I just think they're getting something off of Lambert's terror and that okay. is the worst part of the thing. Of the, that's the scariest thing is the fact yeah. that it might be like enjoying things. Smiling, even a little bit, being like, <laughs> "What do you think it did to Lambert?" I know what it did. I, know I don't even want to think off. about it. I hated that bit. That just one little bit. I was just like, "Oh man, why?" You can tell that? because it, it felt a bit jokey. It felt a bit kind of like no. It, it's yeah. so clever because you don't know, and so I'm like, "Why are her pants off?" And I realize why. All right, am I? Sorry. <laughs> I just want to come back to the alien physiology and the science. Okay. <laughs> There's just two things that I just want to bring up about the actual uh, physiology because it's two things that um, Ash says when Ripley goes into him. So the first thing is the fact that the alien has like acid blood. <sighs> like what I love is he says molecular acid. Oh, molecular acid. Yeah, I heard that too. I was like, it's such a nonsense term. It's basically on a molecular level, but molecular acid, because it was like, but acid is a molecule. So I don't, what? What do you mean? Like, (laughs) what would the skin have to be to be able to. 
Yeah, plastic. Um, yeah, that reminds me of him in a, in Breaking Bad. They're like acid will eat through everything except for this particular kind of plastic because it has such a structure. And I think he mentions that it sheds its cells and it's like replaced with like silicon. Or, yeah. So then he says about yeah. it being, having polarized silicon. So then I was like, okay, so is it to do with that? So it was like his shell is polarized silicon, and obviously I was like, reverse the polarity. I was like, why? It's always fucking polarized. Polarized the whole place. A lot people love to use this word. Uh, the idea is that electromagnetic power, when applied to materials, would make them harder. Mm-hmm. But in terms of it being like an alien body, I just like, how do you apply? Where does the electromagnetic power come from? That polarizes the silicon that allows it to become like a harder material <laughs> that protects the alien. Allowing the alien to adapt to its environment. I just, I don't know how where that comes from. Molecular acid, polarized silicon. I know. Yeah, it's just quantum, quantum. But it does, it, but it buys into this like kind of biomechanical uh, imagery of what the alien is. That it's yeah. like, it's alien, but part machine. So maybe Technology. there's just some machine part of it that we just don't see. That's an aspect to it, you know. There's something else though. There's another layer with Ash. Ash does feed bullshit is the thing. So it's like... yeah. You also, he makes up nonsense crap. When, when she, she was like, what does a key off of? And he's like, microwave changes in air pressure. She's like, sure. <laughs> so there's a part of Ash which he is saying bullshit because he's not giving information. Although I do believe that he was giving a little bit of actual information away just yeah. to like, you know, show that he was doing work. But, you know, it could be like in his defense, he wasn't being sincere. So that's why I was like, he might just be putting extra words in there to make it. Like to make them confuse, like to put the distance between what he knows and what they know. Like I'm just right. giving you big words and you're just like, oh, okay, you're a science person, whatever. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a fair point. I take that because like succumbing to Ash as our, as our scientist, because yeah, he is the science person. He's the science officer, classic spaceships, gotta have a science officer, love it. Oh my God, <laughs> I can't, kills me. Um, but he, his entire, well, we learn then Ash is also an android or a robot and his entire programming is to return the alien to the company at all costs and since he's a robot he follows his orders as best he can until we get that moment with the fire extinguisher and the truth comes out so how do we feel about ash as the science officer i love him i think he's great wait fire extinguisher and the truth comes out oh when they realize he's a robot oh oh, when they smash him yeah yeah, but okay, so beyond what I've already said about Bilbo Baggins' performance and all of that, um, <laughs> yeah, I did not know this. This was a shock. I had no idea. I had no idea, and it was awesome. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And it's like weird. And we've talked about organic androids because we did the Blade yeah. Runner thing. So I was like, it was like. <laughs> <laughs> It was like milk and it's like drinks and milk thing. And I was like, I love this. This makes sense. They're replacing with an Android so that he can bring the thing. And then you're like, oh my God, this makes sense. You watch it again. The way he's like pretending like to be waving at them, like in some weird robot way. He's such a robot the entire time. And like, you just think he's like, science officer, I have no humor. I know all logic. And like, I was like, oh, that's just their science officer. That's how they're portraying him. And I'm like, he's an android. I loved it. (laughs) I love it. It's funny because when, because when we, um, 
because the way we write each other like notes on what we want to talk about in the episode and so I, I had made the the channel for Alien and I had to put at the top because I was like I just it would have ruined it if you had mm-hmm. read what I had written before watching the movie because I had written in stuff about talking about the android and I was like I don't want her to be like what android <laughs> Oh, waiting the whole movie. Where's the android? So I was like... Yeah, you would have ruined it for me (laughs) because... And I was sitting... I watched it with a friend who's watched it before and she was a trooper. She was like, what is that? What is he sweating? (laughs) What a weird response. And like, uh, he'd say something that was like, you know, this thing. And she'd be like, that doesn't make sense. Like, she was such a good sport for me. Like, and then the android bit. Even like he was inspired by the alien to rape her in the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, that was with such a, a mag- weird fucking... With a porno that, magazine. Oh my God, that was... <sighs> yeah, I just... That that scene... He's like, like, this will be a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, it's just... <laughs> it's, it's so, so weird. Perverse. It's so weird. It's a fucking paper magazine. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, I get but chills. He, he as... Yeah, so like as the android. But then I also do really enjoy how he portrays the... Before we know that he's the android, I enjoy how he portrays the role of the scientist because I do feel he has genuine curiosity to Mm. this being, to this, um, yeah, to this uh, organism. Like it's, you know, he he does want to know what it is. It's not just his programming to bring to bring it back. It's also like the well, we've never seen this before. So what is this? And I want to learn about it. But he also doesn't want to be disturbed by the others. He's like, go the fuck away. Let me look. I love don't touch it. Don't don't do that. That that was (laughs) don't don't do that. Um, I know what you're saying, but I also think that that is a clinical, cruel interpretation of a scientist. Like when when movies do that, it makes me wonder, like that what you think scientists are like cold and like, I just like the science. And I'm like, um, there are people that are like that, but I think overall it's unfair. Because I, I think he, he would be scared and put people's lives ahead of the, his curiosity. And it's sort of like the Iron Man scientist. Yeah, but that that's was like... why but that's why there's a contrast in his in his portrayal, because there's a part of him that is the scientist, but then there's the part of him that's the android. Mm-hmm. So the android is the cold clinical side of it. And then the scientist is to me those Learning. moments where he kind of looks like he's got some sort of personality and it's that curiosity and the fascination. Yeah. Learning, watching. Yeah. Amazed. Yeah. Um I I had this conversation with someone, um, because I work in clinical medicine. So, you know, the pictures we look even when I worked with non clinical, preclinical stuff, but you know, you're you're working with living you know actual people that have disease and uh, and sometimes you get you know a great image and you're like this is a great image of this person who definitely did not survive you know and there's like there are people that really ham it up they're like i just find this like super fascinating and i just always find that lacking in tact like Mm -hmm. you always have to have show humanity and sympathy and not try to do this whole like ham up your whole like my science brain is so fascinated that I even forget that we're talking about something scary like it's not cool like chill out yeah nobody wants to hear that you got to show humanity yeah. I think it's our responsibility as scientists to represent ourselves as as you know caring and not being clinical like this so when I see a scientist being even though he was an android but before that I was like mm, come on yeah come on guys but it, yeah Mangala. it's disappointing but it is also it, it's uh, 
it's not entirely true to say it's not representative though of some oh, yeah, scientists because totally. there are scientists loads. that behave like 100 percent. So, there yeah. are loads yeah there are loads um yeah you are you yeah. are right there are, there are all sorts of people yeah there are people that like to that are like that yeah so um yeah. i'd like to kind of end the science mm-hmm. discussion with a chat about protocols because we've got two times in the movie where protocols are a factor. So firstly, we've got the Ripley is following the protocol, refusing to let Kane in, mm-hmm. which is then circumvented by Ash when he opens the door. And obviously we learn later that this is because he's following his own protocols, which outweigh the standard company quarantine rules, which mm-hmm. is to bring back the specimen at all costs. And it just kind of got me thinking about like, do we have any protocols in place for what we would do if extraterrestrial life was discovered? What I love is there's this uh, there's this idea out there from Carl Sagan where he basically said that like any aliens advanced enough to travel between solar systems would have to be beyond the idea of war and aggression. So that we shouldn't kind of fear aliens coming here. Uh, it's a lovely thought, but um, I don't know that I believe it. <laughs> I think we've covered this topic yeah. a couple of times and I don't agree. <laughs> so yeah. That's nice. You're smoking too much pot, Carl Sagan. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> so there is a thing though. There is this thing called uh, a post-detection policy, which is the set of structured rules, standards, guidelines, or actions that governmental or other organizational entities plan to follow for the detection, analysis, verification, announcement, and response to confirmed signals from extraterrestrial civilizations but the thing is like no government has openly stated that they have formally adopted a post-detection policy so most of the work relating to this is done by scientists and ngos so what if we did go out there Mm -hmm. what if we did go out and find alien life on another planet um there aren't really any real protocols in place for discovering organic life outside there but i mean there's it's not even just exiting our solar system it's like what if we found life in the oceans of the moons at um jupiter there's a couple of things we could encounter just bacteria or insect-like animals which is likely and we might actually find bacterial life in some of the moons out there in the solar system and so we would collect samples and bring them home that's Mm -hmm. a standard normal thing but what if we came across life with human level sentience so do you remember in Blade Runner 2049 we talked about sentience? Uh, sentience being the capacity for subjective perceptions, feelings, and experience. The quality mm-hmm. of being able to experience feelings. So there's this guy called Robert Freitas. And in 1950, he wrote a book which laid out what he called the US military's seven steps to contact. Where he said, firstly, there would be remote surveillance and then data gathering. Mm-hmm. Next covert visitations to gauge the performance of the civilization check what kind of technology they have is the tech superior is our superior then we would attempt near approaches to gauge their responses so is there hostility do they have weaponry do they start to shoot at us if not then we do brief landings to take samples of the plants or the animals or of the intelligent beings themselves non-harmful abductions (laughs) now this book was written in 1950 okay the first reported alien abduction happened in 1957 (laughs) (laughs) 
It's not funny. Um, it's a load of bullshit. It's not funny at all. We shouldn't <laughs> laugh. We're encouraging people. I know. And, uh, okay, so then there would be um, low-level <laughs> approaches, allowing ourselves to be seen but not reached, and then finally land and attempt face-to-face communications. Yeah. So it's just an idea of like what kind of protocols could be in place. And in terms of what they're doing in the movie, it actually makes perfect sense to me that if you do have these like minor shifts, essentially is what it is, like these these work shifts out there, because you're not always going to have, it's not Star Trek, you're not going to have yeah. just a bunch of exploration Explorers. ships. Yeah, no, that doesn't pay and money. Yeah, the galaxy is huge. Yeah. We do need resources. Yeah. So if you're going to send out ships mining for resources, then it would make sense to me that part of a company's directive would be that there is a responsibility to investigations of intelligent life should they be found yeah. because the galaxy is enormous life is rare and the idea of finding intelligent life is so rare that you couldn't just put it down to one or two dedicated chips if you've got something out there in an area of the galaxy why would you not utilize that, that bit, so that yeah, makes sense that bit makes me. a lot of sense yes i agree that bit makes a lot of sense to me if you're out there and you hear something is in your contract that you have to go check it out that scene was really good as well. I liked it. The fact that Dallas mm. was like the person that had this like discussion. It was like pretty like quick, but you kind of got all the different sort of things and the people and like, um, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I also, by the way, that it, with Ash again, Bilbo, seriously, the Parker made like a, a, a move to like, into his physical space somehow with, with the conversation it was getting heated and Parker was obviously trying mm. to be jocular and, and give him a nudge and Ash was like, don't do that. Can I take, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he really was, yeah. wasn't into the Parker's vibe. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. makes a lot of sense. I just think for me, what doesn't make sense in it though, is that the, the crew wouldn't be aware. Uh, maybe it's so unlikely. Um, but like that they Contracts. wouldn't be made aware of then having these having further protocols of how to deal with that interaction. Oh, because they, they like all the, had no idea. It would be idea. a secretive thing. They were asking. Yeah. Right. Because the because because it's like the fact that Kane got up close and personal with this egg. It's like surely you would have a protocol in place for how to investigate then the organism should you come across it and what you should do and how you should interact with it. Because it's it's a this is a smart idea irresponsibly done um, is basically how i feel about it contracts like i'm thinking about that right like so that, that it was in their contracts okay i believe that there could be something in your contract that people wouldn't see 100 percent. like i totally yeah that, that's that's for sure true the part that gets me is that um the fact that then if they got it like that there was this other directive that they then weren't aware of so like what was that so that wasn't in their contract obviously but like yeah so it's like what you're saying so in their contract it says this thing and then nothing and then blank because mm. the truth is left out although there's some quarantine chit chat like they have some vagueness about quarantine 24 hours kind of or, something but i yeah so is it a case of that we've reached a point in the storyline like we are in, in this world, we've reached a point where it's so common for us to be going out there and mining and these these ships, it's just like like long haul truckers and it becomes so monotonous and so repetitive 
and finding life is so rare and just a thing that never happens or has never happened Mm -hmm. that people lose their somewhere along the line this this probably initial training really structured idea and training and 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 plan just gets lost along the way because it's just never been utilized yeah, it's like a plane. That's how it feels in the Emergency movie. plane procedures. Everyone's like, well, well, yeah. Well, well. yeah, you think that those flight attendants, maybe if they're stuck with an emergency, they'll be like, shit, 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 shit. I think it's like anything. Like if something never, ever happens, you maybe even stop bothering to think about it at all. And yeah. then they're just like, what the? Yeah, I think that that is probably more in line because it fits the vibe of the film, which is like normal, normal humans. And if that was me, yeah. if I was a normal human in that situation, I'd be like, shit, there was something in the manual <laughs> about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dallas would be like... Somewhere in the manual, I signed a piece of paper that said I was expendable. Yeah. <laughs> Not that, just like there was a, there's a way you're supposed to do it. Not just like go and touch things. Like Kane's like, let me go and poke it. I know. That was the thing. It's like it's this beautiful kind of idea and then it's like ruined a little bit by... Yeah, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna stick my head in this. <laughs> Look how pretty, like, dude. I know. By the <laughs> Do way, not have a plan for how to deal with to this. Lambert's credit, you know, like she's scared even before, even before they find anything and go out. She's already like, oh, it's a distress signal well, yeah, or it's an SOS. She's like, I don't think this is a good idea. Like she's already flagging that it's bad more than any other character. Yeah. Because it's out of nowhere and you have no training. And yeah. like, if it's a distress, then that means something's wrong. And what the fuck are you going to do? That we were woken up, that it's, something's not right yeah. here, that it's all weird. Nothing makes sense. And like, she's right about all yeah. of it. And maybe it's her women's intuition. Because she's like the only like real woman in a woman's body character that's like being like a woman. And she's got her intuition that's just like, eh, 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 everything is wrong. Nothing is right. And she's right. <laughs> And everyone else is trying to be yeah. all tough. And she's like, mm, I think we should just leave. And then she's like, we got to abandon the ship. <laughs> like she's correct about all of it. You know, it's like, yes, yeah, she's emotional, but she's also spot on. Mm. Well, then again, she doesn't stop them from bringing Kane on board. So, uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, that was pretty she like right into it. Yeah, she did. <laughs> didn't she? Yeah. That whole thing, letting him on, they were like, no, we're letting him on. And Ripley's like, no, you're not. And they're like, Yes, we are. Like, that was like, come on, really? Really? You're letting him on with it attached to his face? But that shows, but that also shows the inexperience of these situations. Yeah, like, just scared. the lack of, like, uh, you know, that kind of. Yeah. It's so normalized to them now that this is just their journey that they've lost any ability to deal with these types of uh, problems yeah. and situations. Those are just like so yeah. scared children. Yeah, so it just, it just feels kind of like. Great idea in terms of utilizing a company who already has people out there, but then badly executed by the company to not ensure that there are protocols and plans mm. in place. That would absolutely have to be in order to guide us on how we would deal with um, alien life. Or maybe I hope we never find aliens it was, or meet aliens. Maybe it was their plan. Get them to bring any alien back, no matter what. Like, I don't give them anything, and because it, it's not really about. Like it's actually because we want the weapons and everything like that. So they're they're doing exactly the way they're executing exactly the way they intended. Yeah, but if you if the if the or if the being is so important to you, 
if like getting this being back is so important to you then would you not want to make sure that your crew knew how to make sure that you got the fucking organism you know go there put it in this container right seal right it, whatever, seal it bring, freeze like, it you know because even parker was like are you gonna freeze it why aren't you freezing him why aren't you freezing him i was like yeah that's a great idea why aren't you mm. freezing him i couldn't agree more freeze him freeze him freeze him freeze him Kane. yeah yeah they should have frozen him i feel the answer to your question is that's what happens when decisions are made around a boardroom table as opposed to in a scientific environment these decisions were yeah. made by a corporate board who has no fucking idea how to handle this shit. They just want the money. And that's, everything is yeah. expendable and they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't understand the risk. They just they just want money. It's just a capitalistic sort of way of thinking where you go like, this is the most practical, preferable decision, even though it makes absolutely no sense if you think about it from a robust scientific perspective. Yeah. Read COVID management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about this at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty on the fence. No, I mean, it's true. And that's, that's the thing. It's just, it's, it kind of shows as well how that, that approach obviously doesn't get what, get you what you wanted because in the end you lost everything. Because people might resist. Including your specimen. Yeah, lost everything because you know why? Because yeah, ensure that the people that you have who are going to like take up this endeavor for you know what the fuck they're yeah. doing. Oh, and I don't mean that as a criticism towards the crew. I mean, as in make sure that they know what they should be doing and need to do in order to, to bring keep the alien safe. back. How dumb is that to just say at all yeah. costs? How about, yeah, develop a protocol. Yes. How about consult with people about how to develop a good protocol? You fucker. And keep yeah. everyone safe. Why? <laughs> like there's no priority to keep anyone safe. It's so corrupt. Is that where we're going towards? Yes. Yeah. Well, we, uh, this is the thing. And this, so, yeah, I just think that's why I'm like, I would hope that we would never come across aliens. Because I don't trust We won't. Us. Don't worry about it. The way that we fucking treat ourselves. I mean, we talked about this in District 9. It was so, like, that's any, any involvement that we have with aliens in the future. Um, I don't see it going any other way than District 9. Like, I just don't see us having the capability. We are not kind, generous people as a collective. Could you imagine what it would be like if... Could you imagine the infighting or the wars or the fucking government battles? Who gets to be in charge? Who's this? Who's that? It's just, oh, God, it would be absolutely ridiculous. I just, no. Yeah, we're already like that. Imagine if there was another thing. It's not going to happen. Don't worry. An alien race. It is going to be a xenomorph who's going to fucking murder us all. So, Abby, alien invasion was only ever created as a metaphor for other shit. It's not a real thing. It was never a real thing. It was only ever a metaphor. And these are all just metaphors. And like, it's really not something we need to worry about. And I did tell you before this call that I had an encounter with someone who was taking this topic way too seriously yeah. and I was not having any of it. And if you're listening now, I'm not sorry. Well, we have a mini soda in a couple of weeks. Uh, time. If people want to. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Okay. So that, is, that is all I have that I want to talk about for Elion. And yeah, so 
how do you feel about the movie? Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's such a pleasure to watch such a great film. Yeah. Um, Good. Yeah. All right, let's let's do what the fuck's okay. then. Okay. All right, mine is pretty meta. Frida, what is your what the fuck? Okay, when this movie started on my Disney app, this is what it said. The warning was this: low level violence, medium level coarse language. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? That's what it said. I was oh like, "Oh my god, is that the fucking what? world we're in today?" It made me think of like how much violence is actually shown, and I was like, "I feel like that's the same um, warning that would be put on our podcast episodes." Yeah, I mean, is there some way that they have such short frames of the brain bashing that it doesn't count? <laughs> what about the chest bursting? I was just, I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. But I guess I have another. What that's the hilarious. fuck? which is smoking on the ship. But that's kind of just kind of great. And my other one was Sigourney Weaver's undies. No, don't. No, stop. Now. Okay. You don't get to have three what the fucks before I've said mine. (laughs) Okay. You go, go, go. Now my what the fuck is low level violence, medium level coarse language. Warning. (laughs) Okay. All right. Abby, what is your what the fuck? Sigourney Weaver's fucking underwear at the end and her butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) Why were they so small? Why were they so small? I don't understand. I've no problem with her. Like what? It was, but why were they so small? Why did they come down there? Why? Why? How uncomfortable was she the entire time wearing them? It doesn't, it doesn't do its job to cover your bum. But I just don't like I can't I'm trying to imagine what I would feel like walking around all day wearing underwear that came halfway down my butt. It's oh like my the God, dudes I love that it. walk around in America where they have like you know their baggy trousers they wear their like um, you know the fucking idiots and they wear their they've got their boxers and then they've got oh. their, their baggy trousers and then oh. they, they tie them underneath their butt cheeks. You know those guys? You mean as if. Is that what you mean? Yeah, As yeah. If, what is it with men's fashion today? I mean, yes, that's exactly what I mean. It's like um, what the, I I like Sorry, watching just older for those movies. Of you, like you don't no, get no. that. That was a very much a clueless reference. Please just go watch Clueless. They're um, fine. Everybody knows. <laughs> no, but, but the old-fashioned undies, women's undies. That's the thing, right? Women's undies fashion evolves pretty rapidly, and like there are movies when you watch back to like seventies, eighties, and you're like, "What is this undies?" Do you think it's like because like she wanted to be naked in that scene, but the studio wouldn't allow it, um, so they just went with how oh. small can we make the underwear? Oh yeah, <laughs> so definitely. Like it, it, it's definitely, but I but but. I'm trying to transport myself to a, like to be like ooh because she, they could have done a different cut and it w- could have been like a, you know a bit you know m- more yeah. you know hot and it, that isn't like what is that it was just it's it, just like it just it made weird. me I looked at it and I immediately felt uncomfortable and like I needed to adjust my own underwear and that's all like, that was the only crack. thing in the no whole movie that I was see- like what is actually fucking happening no one wants to see a bum crack. <laughs> All but right. it was very in line with the vibes, all the yeah. sexual violence vibes. I know. Anyway. Not, it was just, it's just a silly thing. Or the what the fucks are just silly things. So like, it's a great fucking They're movie. So let's so final silly. verdicts. 
Um, did the movie pass the Bechdel test? Not the Bechdel test. Why the fuck did I write that down? Sorry. The Sam's did test. the movie pass the Sam's test? Uh, yes. yes. Yes, I think it did. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I think this inspired the Sam's test. Now yeah. that, I, now that oh, I've yeah. seen the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, did it pass Here Comes the Science? Yeah, ish. Not really. I mean, yeah, I, if you add the layer of Ash being, being full of shit, yeah. then especially <laughs> it does. It's true though, right? I mean, yeah, it is, it, it, it's very science fiction-y, so there's not, there's not the a whole humanoid. lot of... And also the humanoid... Yeah, I mean, but just in terms like of with... like the the life cycle, like in in normal kind of parasitic kind of thing and stuff like that, it's not so bad. But yeah, that is pretty good. And like with Annihilation, they gave a good reason why it was humanoid. Yeah, exactly. And I like um, it. So yes, yeah. And then final verdict has to be five. Yeah, I will be executed if not. How can we not give it five face huggers? <laughs> That thing is so grotesque. I love oh, a no. good monster. I thought the, fingers, the xenomorph knuckles. was, you know, a little bit. Well, we didn't see a lot of it, so the bits that we did see. So I thought it was a little, a little tacky in its full appearance, but that face hugger was so rad. Yeah, the design of it. Yeah, it's knuckly. Ugh. And even when you see it through the egg, when Kane's just looking from the outside, you still see its yeah. spindly sort of fingers and you're like, <laughs> groping and like choking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> kills me. That face hugger murder, murders me. Okay. Oh. Well, five, right. five, five face huggers, five chest bursters, five xenomorphs, whatever okay. the fuck. Five, five of it all. Stars. Uh, that was it. Alien. Yeah, that was Alien. Frida. I'm next. <laughs> I know what we're doing. I'm very excited. All right. It's time. Actually, shout out to freaking like my boss who was like, do Alien. And also here's another suggestion of a, of a zany movie. And that zany, and so I'm doing it. So it's two for the price of one for um, my boss. I did not pick Alien because of your boss. Alien's been on our list since day no, one. No, they wanted FYI. it. I'm saying, but <laughs> okay. everyone wants it. My mom, yeah. everyone. But they were like, they wanted it. They were like, Alien, 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 Alien. Favorite movie, okay. favorite movie, favorite movie. And then they were like, also, do Battleship starring Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm genuinely, right, listen. I wrote it on my phone notes. <laughs> and so when I was trying to figure out, I looked at my phone notes and I was like, done, Battleship with Rihanna. So this is, the movie based on the board game. Oh, okay. I was just super excited ships. about this movie when it came out. I was like super excited about it. And then I went to see it and I was like, what the fuck is this movie? So I'm very excited. The worst movie ever made. It's I love so it's like as if somebody was like, um, what was that? What's that game with the mine uh, where you the bombs when you on the on Windows computer? Yeah, it's like yeah. Minesweeper, the movie. It's equivalent, like, because in level of complexity of the story behind the Battleship game is nothing. It's like Minesweeper. So they're like, Minesweeper, the movie starring Madonna. Like, oh, God. Amazing. What? Yeah, I'm excited so, for this one. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's so in two weeks' time, we will have battleship oh my god and next week we start off our documentary miniseries with the inventor out for blood in silicon valley guilty as charged yes that's the thing we recorded it before the verdict came out but she has been found guilty of fraud so 
there we go okay thank you so much for listening and as Frida don't forget about Frida's uh, win a date with Frida competition on the um, Australian Jasmine <laughs> On the, on the Australian Apple podcast reviews, just to clarify, Australia only. <laughs> she is not coming to the UK or we'll, over to we'll, America for a date. We'll, um, we'll take you on a, a science at the movies tour, bus tour. We'll be like, this th- this lady, that's one I spoke about in episode seven. If you remember that story, that took place here. In episode 12, it's, that's the thing that I said was, for, that's the coffee that I like. I'll take it. Okay, stop now. You're overselling it here. (laughs) (laughs) It's just get too many, too many. (laughs) All right, okay. All right, that's it. That's the episode. Welcome to a new cycle. Ah. our life cycle okay thank you for listening if you want to get in contact Curious. with us send us your recommendations or movies you'd like us to cover on science the movies at gmail.com or uh, do come and find us on instagram at science at the movies and you can interact with us there if you would like to we'd like you to so just do it please thank you bye bye, bye.